Hey all, just a heads up before we begin. Today's show has audio of an arrest that some might find upsetting to listen to. When Harmony got to the protest on Saturday in downtown Pittsburgh, the first thing she heard was chanting. No peace! No peace! No justice, no peace. Things like that. Did you start chanting with them? I'm not really a chanter. Um, and my voice is like, even if I try to yell, it's it's embarrassing. I'm not a very loud person. Um, yeah. But I, I marched with them and I held my fist up. Harmony is 19 years old and works in retail in Pittsburgh. Earlier that day, she was feeling kind of nervous about the protest. So she asked her mom to help her get ready. We were just talking about, you know, George Floyd and everything. And I got a little sentimental, I guess. So I was like, hey, mommy, do you want to do my hair before I go? You know, she put it in like two French braids. She memorized an emergency contact number and promised her mom she'd keep her updated. So she was helping me and like making me laugh and stuff. Hmm. What, what were you nervous about? Um, it was my first protest, actually. This is the first, aside from like little stuff that I did in high school, this is mm-hmm. the first like actual protest that I've been to. Harmony went with one of her best friends, who she calls her sister. In Pittsburgh, there was a curfew put in place, but the two kept protesting anyway. And at around 8.30, Harmony started recording a Facebook Live video, which is what you're hearing right now. There was a line of police facing the protesters, and between them, a dumpster that had been set on fire. Things were feeling chaotic, and Harmony noticed that the police were getting closer. Whoever's watching, I'm going to try to film people's feet because I'm not trying to get anybody's faces on camera. The police then decided to push forward and, um, and move us back. Harmony says in that moment, she felt pretty scared. Yeah. I wanted to have my eyes on my sister at all times and make sure I didn't lose her in the crowd or anything. And I contemplated... Okay, do we move back or do we like hold this position and lock arms and just stay here? Um, And I was like, no, we should move back. Let's move back. This went on for about 20 minutes. The line of police were pushing back the protesters who were locking arms. Okay, and then what happened after that? And then um, that's when we got ambushed and the SWAT team showed up. And the first thing they did was throw tear gas. Mm. And at that point, it was completely over. And we all kind of scattered. And me and my sister, like, pretty much immediately got on the ground and put our hands up. Hands up! Harmony was wearing a cloth mask. And with the tear gas in her face, it was getting hard to breathe. She thought if she could just reach over to her water bottle and splash some on her face, it might help. And then they they were telling us, like, don't move, don't move. And my sister was telling me not to move. Um, But in that moment, I had to decide, like, okay, do I get, like, shot with a rubber bullet and at least I'm able to breathe? Or do I, like, choke on this tear gas? (laughs) She was able to splash some water on her face before a police officer came over and handcuffed her. At this point, she was on the ground, face down, and she needed help getting up to make it easier to breathe. Don't move, Harmony, don't move! And I was telling the cop that was standing over me, like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I need help, please help me, please help me. The officer wasn't helping her, so she tugged on his pant leg. 
He ended up kicking me, and he said, don't ever touch me like that. Don't touch me. Do not ever grab me like that again. <coughs> when he finally sat her up, it was to put her and other protesters in police vans, which took them to the Allegheny County Jail. Were you thinking at all at that point about bail? Um, not at all. Not even remotely. Because mm-hmm. I didn't think I would have to pay a bail. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Last week, a white Minneapolis police officer killed George Floyd as bystanders watched and begged him to take his knee off of Floyd's neck. His death and the way it was documented was a flashpoint in a centuries-long struggle against racism and police brutality in this country. For days now, demonstrators have taken to the streets in all 50 states to speak out against racial injustice. On the show this week, what happens after some of those protesters get arrested? Harmony says as a young Black woman growing up, she was always aware of police brutality, but didn't always know how to make sense of it. Ever since Ferguson, you see these videos of protest and you see what could happen. She was 13 during the Ferguson protests, which were in response to a white police officer fatally shooting Michael Brown, a Black teenager. Do you remember much about that? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I don't think I was that deep into, you know, caring about stuff like that as as much as I do now. I understood and knew that I was like, oh, wow, that's horrible. That's sad. But I can't do anything about it. I think I, I just felt really small. When she first heard about George Floyd's murder, it impacted her. It was really hard to watch. I didn't watch all of it, uh, all of the video, just because I couldn't. Harmony knew that there was a chance she'd get arrested if she went to a protest. But she figured it'd just be a slap on the wrist. She wasn't expecting to spend the next two days in jail. When Harmony first arrived to the county jail, officers put her and 20 other women in a holding room the size of a small bedroom. And when I entered in, they were saying like, oh, no, not another one. Uh, And they were saying like, oh, you're going to get us sick because we were not able to social distance at all. Like, it was an extremely tiny room. Harmony says she was nervous about being exposed to someone sick with COVID. That was a moment where the adrenaline kind of came out, and I was like, well, I'm really in jail, and we're all huddled together, and this is pretty scary. They eventually moved her and six other protesters into a single room with a toilet. And they just waited not knowing whether they were going to be released soon or if they were going to be charged with anything. You know, all the women that I was with, we just started talking for, like, hours and got to know each other. And we played, like, 21 questions and never have I ever, you know. And there was a pregnant woman in there, and she told us about, like, her baby and stuff. Harmony had no way to tell time. But throughout the night, one by one, her cellmates were called out for arraignment. And by the next morning, only three of them were still there, still waiting for information. It was just worrisome because, like, you know, there were several people that I was in the cell with that needed medication, like, daily. And we tried to tell a nurse about it, actually. Harmony says they asked the nurse for medication and toilet paper. 
and she was kind of like mocking us and she was like you're in jail you can't have anything and she said her job was just to make sure that we didn't commit suicide after almost 24 hours harmony was finally called the district attorney was charging her for failure to disperse and disorderly conduct I get my papers and I look and I'm like, okay, I don't know what any of this means. I guess it doesn't matter, whatever. I'll, you know, talk to my mom or my dad about it. But then I look and I see, I see that it says bail $10,000. Whoa. Yeah. But Harmony says not all the protesters who were arrested with her got charged with something. And I'm like, hold on, what? What what does this mean? You know, um, and I look, I look to my sister because, you know, there are windows and we're able to see each other. And I'm trying to mouth to her like, I'm screwed. Like, I don't know what this means. Faced with the bail and the charges, Harmony says she still didn't regret protesting. But I was just really angry. Um, and, I, and I kind of felt hopeless at that point as well. To get out, she needed to come up with 10 percent of the bail. So a thousand dollars. When she was finally allowed to make a phone call, she called her sister, her biological one. She just kept telling me that I was going to be okay and that we were going to figure it out. And I told her that I had bail and everything. And, and she she actually told me um, that, that it was already being paid for, which was surprising. Harmony's sister saw her arrest on Facebook Live and checked the jail's inmate database to find her. And that's where she saw Harmony's bail amount. First, her sister tried to raise the money herself. She set up something on Facebook, like, donation thing. But then her sister got in touch with the Bucket Bail Fund of Pittsburgh, which is a community-organized bail fund for people being held at the Allegheny County Jail. And they were able to help. And so, without the... Without that bail fund, do you know how you would have made bail? Um, not at all, really. Because, you know, my, my court trial in, is, was in 12 days at the time. So I was like, could I stay in here for 12 days? So I was just preparing for the worst. She says without the bail fund, it would have been really hard for her family to piece something together. I was, like, internally panicking, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, like, if you had stayed in jail for 12 days, like, would that have affected your job? Yeah, I would have been fired for sure. After Harmony posted bail, they held her there for another 12 hours before letting her free. By the time her dad picked her up from the jail, it was Monday. When she got into the car, she turned to him. The first thing I said was, I don't want to hear any lecture for the next 48 hours. And I made sure I said that. Um, because I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah, but he was very sweet, and he hugged me a lot. Did he end up lecturing you? There, there are, like, subtle bits and pieces, but I think I, I gently shut him down every time. Like what? Um, when he's, like, you know, he'll, he'll send me a video of, like, someone, like, you know, shaking hands with a cop and, and hugging them or something, and he's, like, See, this is how it's supposed to be done. You know, we just have mm. to love each other and, and spread the love and everything. And what do you make of those kinds of videos? I, I think we need to be more... Re- I mean, in a world where a police officer can feel comfortable being videotaped while he's, you know, strangling someone with his knee for eight minutes, I don't think we can just, like, hug that person and say, like, oh, it's it's okay, I love you. 
you know, can you maybe stop killing us, please? I'd really appreciate it. You know what I mean? When I ask Harmony if she thinks she'll protest again, she doesn't hesitate. She says her experience over the last few days, including what she saw inside the jail, makes her want to protest even more. When I graduated from high school, I wasn't completely lost, but I didn't really know 100% what I wanted to do. But when it comes to, like, protesting, that's when I I feel the most, like, passionate. Um, And now, you know, George Floyd and the protests happening around and the donations that I can make and the the way I can turn me being arrested into something that, that pushes the cause forward instead of something that scares me and makes me want to run and hide. Um, that's what I'm really going to try to do for the next um, <laughs> lifetime, but also the next couple of days for sure. Coming up after the break, a closer look at how bail and bail funds work. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. So Harmony was one of the thousands of protesters who had to post bail recently and was able to make it happen because of a bail fund. And in fact, bail funds across the country have been flooded with donations to support people protesting against the police's killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. People are showing up at the jail with wads of cash. Donations to the Casey Bail Fund are skyrocketing. Activists have raised more than $55,000. Contributions from at least 800,000 individuals. Just bailing people out nonstop. Practically overnight, some of these organizations raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, even millions. They're having a really unprecedented moment. But the idea behind them isn't something new. There's always been this tradition, I think, of communities coming together, pooling their funds to post bail for individuals who are accused of crimes. That's Vincent Sutherland. He is a law professor at NYU who works with the Bail Project, which is a national nonprofit that pays bail for folks who need it. He says some of the first bail funds started informally during the civil rights movement with churches and community groups. People were returning to bail funds after they'd been arrested in the course of civil disobedience. But bail has a really complicated role in the criminal justice system. It exists as a sort of insurance for the courts. The idea is if people put up money as collateral, they're more likely to show up at trial. At any given point, almost half a million people are in jail awaiting their trials, mostly because they couldn't afford bail. We have this two-tiered system of justice. Um, one for uh, for black and brown people and, and one for everyone else. One that punishes the poor and 
you know, allows the wealthy to, to buy their way out of incarceration. And sitting in jail awaiting trial can last days or months, sometimes years. And Vincent says that has a ripple effect in people's lives. They may lose their job. I mean, it's not often that you can kind of just miss work for days on end or, or weeks or months on end. Or he says they may lose access to housing or health care. And if that person is the family's breadwinner... That strains and stresses everyone else in the house and, and, and makes it more difficult for everyone else around you um, to survive. So that's where bail funds come in. In the more recent years, bail funds have been at the forefront of the fight around pretrial justice. Critics have framed it this way. If a rich and poor person are accused of the same crime, why should the poor person be held in jail and the rich person be allowed to go free? It wasn't until about five years ago that advocates in big cities started to create these formal bail funds to help people and push for policy change to abolish pretrial detention. In New York, the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund was one of the first, and for a time, it was the largest in the country. Its executive director, Peter Goldberg, says when the fund first started in 2015, it was getting people out of these really minor charges, like... A kid on a bicycle have $500 bail set um, for riding his bike on the street. There was an undocumented woman who was arrested Um, who had bail set of $500 for selling loose cigarettes. And he says there was a common theme. They were almost entirely people of color. Um, They were almost entirely from um, low-income neighborhoods. That first year, the Brooklyn Fund established a very predictable routine. Every day, they would wait for a family member or a public defender to tell them someone's bail was set. I would have, you know, a briefcase with cash in it, right? And we would walk over to a window and hand over money and secure someone's freedom. Over the next four years, the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund managed to pay bail for about 5,000 people. They even helped create a national network of bail funds, too. But Peter says they started to suspect that judges were inflating bail or setting bail in cases they wouldn't otherwise because they knew the funds would cover it. Funds became such a part of the process that the city itself even launched its own bail fund. So it's New York City cops arresting people, bringing them in, and then you have the system-funded DAs requesting bail and judges setting it, and then you're going to have the city bailing them out. Basically, instead of reform, it felt like the city was formalizing bail funds as part of the system. Then, last summer, a transgender woman named Laylene Polanco died in solitary confinement. She had been arrested on a misdemeanor assault charge and couldn't afford to pay a $500 bail. So she'd been in Rikers Island for two months awaiting trial. Peter remembers the mayor of New York City talking about the tragedy on local news, And instead of putting onus on the city to release more people from jails, he pointed to new legislation that relies more heavily on bail funds. And Peter felt troubled by that. We want our work to be forcing the mayor and forcing other systems actors to change and to be accountable. Um, And here, it seems like the way he was 
using us was to divert attention from this tragedy. Did it almost feel like he was blaming the bail funds? Like, you failed to get her out, you you should have been there. Yeah, I think he was blaming the bail funds. The organization started to question if, instead of putting pressure on the system, their work was enabling it. And that's when the organization took a step back. We really posed this question, which was, um, the passage of this law means that we may be firmly uh, entrenched in this system. Does it make sense, given our mission and theory of change, for us to continue? For five months, the staff, along with its board and focus groups, deliberated. Should they shut down the bail fund? And, you know, the overwhelming answer that we got back was, you should probably stop doing this. So they did. Last year, the Brooklyn Bail Fund stopped paying bail in this way and turned their focus to reforming the criminal justice system at large. It was a decision that felt very specific to what was going on in New York at the time. And when we made that decision, we also said, you know, to the degree that we there's an opportunity to pay bail in the future that doesn't present all these moral hazards, we will step in. So fast forward to now. Last week, as the protests started in New York, Peter noticed something. People, a lot of people, were donating to the Brooklyn Bail Fund to help bail out protesters. I woke up, and I think we had raised something like $600,000. It was more than the organization needed. It released a statement asking people to donate to other organizations instead. But... By that point, we had raised $1.8 million. Oh, my God. Without um, even trying. Yeah, we never, we never asked. But in this instance, where it's for a specific movement, the fund doesn't feel conflicted about paying bail. But it just hasn't had to yet. Wait, so you haven't used any of the $1.8 million? We haven't, we haven't used a penny of it. So far, New York hasn't been collecting bail from most protesters. But Peter says that could change since there are hundreds of people waiting for arraignments. He says, first and foremost, that the donations will go towards bail. But they're still expecting to have too much. You all been having, like, a lot of meetings and discussions about it over the last several days? Oh, my God. Yeah. This is going to be a lot. And that's, like, a very gilded problem, right? we got to yeah. give money away. He says the fund will move extra money to Black-led organizations at the forefront of the racial justice movement. Meanwhile, organizers are asking people to donate to bail funds in other parts of the country, like in smaller cities and towns. But even in big metropolitan areas, they're putting their donations to use nearly every day. In Chicago, the head of the community bond fund, Charlene Grace, says organizers have been hard at work getting protesters released. What are you doing right now? I am leaving a bank in the suburbs to drive to the jail and give cashier's checks and cash to some of our volunteers who are going to pay bonds. Just now I withdrew $46,000. In the last week, her fund has released more than 75 people. Another lawyer, Derek Morgan, says his firm is defending almost 45 clients pro bono across the Midwest. I'm not really surprised by the number. I I was out protesting, so I, I saw how many people were just getting snatched up. 
And in Oakland, Delancey Parham says a week ago, the organization he works for started its own bail fund to get Black demonstrators out of detention. Within a few days, they had raised $200,000. And he says they need it. The first day you will see like 20 Black people arrested. The next day you see 60. Then the next day, 98. Then the next day you see 100. He says they're able to get like three people out a day before hitting a cap on the amount they can withdraw from money apps. And that the donations keep coming through. We've never seen anything like this. Which is great, but you know, you got to think about like the conditions that it's under. Like, why does it take lives being lost and folks being locked up for people to want to invest in the liberation of Black folks? If you want to catch more of our coverage on this topic, you can check it out at marketplace.org. And as always, if you want to reach out to me and the team, you can catch us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. All right, that's all for this week's show. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Hreis, Megan Dietrich, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, Daisy Palacios, and Eliza Mills. Our intern is Daniel Martinez. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Charlton Thorpe is our audio engineer. Sitara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And Deb Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all soon. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.